Thank you for listening to Changed by His Word, a podcast of Pine Level Missionary Baptist Church featuring the preaching and teaching ministry of Pastor Brad Lee. We invite you to join us each Sunday at 11 a.m. for worship. For more information, visit us online at pinelevelmbc.org. And now for today's message. Mark chapter 5, beginning in verse 35. The Bible says, While he was still speaking, they came from the house of the synagogue official, saying, Your daughter has died. Why trouble the teacher anymore? But Jesus, overhearing what was being spoken, said to the synagogue official, Do not be afraid any longer, only believe. And he allowed no one to accompany him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the synagogue official, and he saw a commotion and people loudly weeping and wailing. And entering in, he said to them, Why make a commotion and weep? The child has not died, but is asleep. They began laughing at him. But putting them all out, he took along the child's father and mother and his own companions and entered the room where the child was. Taking the child by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kum, which translated means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl got up and began to walk, for she was twelve years old. And immediately they were completely astounded. And he gave them strict orders that no one should know about this, And he said that something should be given to her to eat. So this morning we're going to conclude chapter 5 of Mark's Gospel. And what we find here is something that's truly unique. There are two stories that are sandwiched together. And it's really interesting how Mark handles these two stories. As I pointed out last Sunday, uh, the middle part or the in-between part, like the meat of the story, which this could also be considered the meat, We discussed and we learned about a woman that had been sick for a period of 12 years. She was suffering from a hemorrhage and uh, she had sought doctor after doctor, specialist after specialist. I mean, she had gone everywhere and anywhere she could. And then praise God, one day she met a guy by the name of Jesus. And we learned that Jesus turned her life upside down. She was touched by the master and uh, Not only did Jesus radically change her life, we know today that Jesus is still in the business of radically changing lives. So what we looked at last Sunday, a summary was this, that Jesus is Lord over sickness, that Jesus is Lord over disease. So this morning what I want us to do is I want us to examine the bread, the top half of the sandwich and the bottom half of the sandwich, because they deal with the story of a young man's daughter that's dying. Not only is she sick, Not only is she facing a disease, she's literally at the point of death. And did you know, as I was thinking along those same lines, this is what man uh, fears greater than anything else. It's perhaps the greatest fear of man, and that is death. And we know just as sure as you've been born, you will one day physically die. And we've come to learn also that the Bible teaches us that it's appointed for man to die once, and then comes the judgment. So death is inevitable. It's something that we're all going to face one day. And I hope and pray this morning that this message will be an encouragement not only to us, but for those that are watching online. For the next few minutes, I want to share or lay four truths on your heart in a message that I've simply entitled, Lord over death. Lord over death. If you're taking notes this morning, I want you to notice first, these are going to be short, sweet, simple points. Here's the first. I want you to notice the bad news. The bad news. We find this in verse 35. Verse 35 says, While he was still speaking, they came from the house of the synagogue official, saying, Your daughter has died. 
Why trouble the teacher anymore? Now, Mark doesn't mention the specific details of the woman's uh, of the young girl's sickness, uh, but we do know that she was extremely ill. In other words, if there would have been a 911 during this day, they would have already dialed 911. I mean, this young girl was in a critical situation. She uh, was in critical care. She had a great need. And I want you for just a moment to put yourself in this father's shoes. What would you have done? Where would you have turned? What would you have been thinking if this was your daughter that was facing this? How would you have responded? And I didn't read the text this morning, but last Sunday, we learned from verse 22, listen to this, that he did only what we all should do, and that is to fall at the feet of Jesus. Amen? To fall at the feet of Jesus. That's exactly what this man did. As a matter of fact, the Bible says he came up and seeing him, that is Jesus, he fell at his feet. Now the picture you see on the display there is actually a uh, picture of the, of the synagogue in Capernaum. I mean, it's just a rock's throw from Peter's house, just a rock's throw from the shore of Galilee. And what we learn about this man is very interesting. Follow me, if you will, for just a moment. Back in Mark chapter 1, verse 21, the Bible says, On the Sabbath, Jesus entered the synagogue and began to teach. This is where the Sabbath was located. Now, this is not the original Sabbath. Its foundation is actually beneath this. But just picture this, if you will, to give you a visual. This is where Jesus taught. In Mark chapter 1, it's where Jesus healed a man of a, uh, that was uh, possessed by a demon. And it's believed that this gentleman, Jairus, was an official in this synagogue right here in Capernaum. So it's important to note that, that he was one of the synagogue officials. And he had possibly witnessed the teachings of Jesus. Perhaps he was right there on that day when Jesus cast the demon out of that man. But here's what I want you to see. The word got out, much like it did to the woman that was healed of the hemorrhage, to this man, hey, there's a guy in town, and his name is Jesus, and he can do something that we've never seen before. He's got power like we've never witnessed before. So he had heard about Jesus. He had heard that Jesus could do something for him. You know, it's a good thing to hear about Jesus, amen? It's a good thing not only to hear about Jesus, it's a good thing to surrender your life to Jesus. It's a good thing to fall at the feet of Jesus. You know, I can't think of a better place for us to be right now as a church and as individuals than at the feet of Jesus. I mean, you think about that for just a moment. I mean, when was the last time you spent time at the feet of Jesus? Perhaps this is one of the most important elections coming up in just a few weeks that we've ever witnessed during our lifetime. What can you do leading up to this election? I think a good thing to do would be to spend some time at the feet of Jesus. Amen. I think it would be good to, to seek some godly wisdom, some godly counsel. And what I want to do, let me just give you a plug this morning. Starting this coming Wednesday for the next three Wednesdays, I want to invite you to join me online on Wednesday nights as we just search the Scriptures and really seek to prepare our hearts leading up to a time such as this. I promise you that you'll benefit from it. We'll all benefit from it. We'll all grow in our relationship with the Lord. But spending time at the feet of Jesus, this is what we find Jairus doing. He fell at the feet of Jesus, but not only did he fall at the feet of Jesus, listen to his cry, listen to his plea. 
The Bible says that he implored him earnestly saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Please come and lay your hands on her so that she may get well and live. So not only did he come and fall at the feet of Jesus, he implored Jesus. He pleaded with Jesus. He begged Jesus to intervene and, done, and to do something. Perhaps his conversation was much like this. You know, Jesus, I've got a young daughter. I mean, she's only 12 years old. And she's critically ill right now. I mean, we've sought doctors and nobody can do anything for her. I mean, it's my baby girl. I, I, I love her and I know that you can help. I just want you to come and intervene. I want you to come lay your hands on her. I want you to come and do something for her. You know what we learn about Jairus? That he was a man on a mission. He was passionately, listen to me. He was passionately pursuing Jesus. Church, that's what we need to be about. Collectively and individually, Monday through Sunday, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, we need to be all about passionately pursuing Jesus and following Him and serving Him. He was on a mission. And it's as though someone hit the pause button. Did you notice that as we've been studying these stories? He's walking with Jesus. He's got Jesus' attention and it's as though the pause button has been hit because another woman shows up on the scene. A woman that's sick of a hemorrhage for 12 years. And it's as though from Jairus' perspective that Jesus takes his eyes off of him and his daughter and puts his eyes on this woman that's bleeding. The Bible doesn't say how much time Jesus spent with her, but perhaps it was a few hours. Who knows exactly how much time it was, but it was enough time, listen to me, for his daughter that was sick to die. To die. Look at verse 35. Verse 35, we learned that there are these messengers that come bearing this bad news, and they arrive to where Jairus is, and they bring this heartbreaking message, your daughter is dead. She's dead. Imagine what Jairus was feeling. Imagine how his heart sank. I mean, can you imagine what was running through his mind? Jesus was just with me. He, he was walking with me. And if this woman had not showed up or shown up, then, then perhaps he would have got to my house before my daughter died. I can't imagine all of the different things that were running through his mind. Perhaps he was thinking what Martha once thought. You've heard me mention Martha and Mary before. It was Martha that was distracted. It was Mary that did what Jairus did. She chose to fall at the feet of Jesus. Perhaps he had heard the story of how they had a, a, a brother named Lazarus who was dead. Listen to this if you will. I think it relates so well. Lazarus had died and the sisters sent word to Jesus and they said, Lord, behold, the one that you love is sick. Our brother Lazarus. So when Jesus heard that he was sick, he stayed two days longer. Do what? I mean, we wouldn't want to do that. He stayed two, day, two days longer in the place that he was. And listen to what Jesus said. Our friend Lazarus has fallen 
asleep. Now in the New Testament, to fall asleep, that is synonymous with death. We learn about this in 1 Corinthians when Paul talks about sleeping. We will not all sleep, but we're going to be changed in the, twinkling, in, in the twinkling of an eye, in a moment, in a split second. But he's fallen asleep. And Jesus says that he, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he was speaking of a literal sleep. So Jesus then said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Much like this young daughter, she has died. And he goes on to say, I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there. Listen to me. So that you may believe. That you may believe. That you may have faith. And Jesus says, let's go to him. Now notice what Martha says and how she responds. She says, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. And perhaps those are the same words that Jairus is echoing as well. If you would have just continued along with me, Lord, if you would have not stopped to help this woman, everything would be okay. Now I want you to notice something else about the messengers. The messengers offer Jairus no hope. They offer him no hope, no encouragement. As a matter of fact, they say, hey, you're just wasting your time because your daughter's dead. This is what I want you to notice first. The bad news. That's bad news. And, and I've come to learn over the years that nobody wants to be a bearer of bad news, do they? I mean, we don't want that job responsibility. I mean, think about these messengers that brought the bad news to Jairus. I mean, in some situations like this, people would shoot the messengers, wouldn't they? Now, maybe they wouldn't have shot these folks, but in some cases they would. But they are nothing more than bearers of bad news. And I think about that when I think about the fact that we as believers have been called to proclaim the gospel. We've been called to take forth the good news, but before we can proclaim the good news, we've got to recognize likewise that there's bad news. And lots of times people want to shoot us for being messengers, amen? But we've still got to proclaim the good news. We're not, we didn't write the message. We're just delivering the message. And the message we've, got, we've all got to understand is this, that we've all sinned and fall short of a holy, righteous God. That's the bad news. That was the bad news for Jairus. That's the bad news for us today. That there's a God, as one of my professors used to say, there's a God and you're not Him. I mean, that'll shake you on it. There's a God and you're not Him. So we've got to understand the predicament that we're in apart from Jesus, that we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God, that the wages of sin is death, and this is the bad news for us, and it was the bad news for Jairus that day. But notice, secondly, I'm not just going to be the bearer of bad news. Praise God, I've got good news for us this morning. Amen? Here's the good news. Point number two. The good news. These verses are saturated with good news. I mean, Jesus heard what was being spoken, and Jesus showed compassion. If you're taking notes, write this down. Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. I love this text, because... Matthew records here, he says, Seeing the people, he that is Jesus felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus is a compassionate Savior. He's a compassionate Lord. He stopped to show compassion to this woman that was suffering from the hemorrhage. And he was going to show Jairus and his family compassion as well. Did you know that Jesus cares deeply about you today? 
Somebody needs to hear that. I mean, through the stuff that we're going through today, this mess that we're facing in our country and this worldwide pandemic, somebody needs to hear that Jesus offers hope that there's good news found in Jesus. That He cares about you. He's concerned about you. Your heartaches, your mountaintops, your valleys, Jesus cares about those. And listen to what He says to Jairus. I love this. He says... Do not be afraid any longer. Do not be afraid any longer. If we're honest this morning, over the last seven months or so, a lot of us have been walking around wringing our hands. I mean, we're biting our fingernails. Don't show me your fingernails. We're biting our nails. We're scratching our heads. We're looking at at this news outlet and that news outlet and, and, and then we're shaking our heads going, this doesn't make any sense. I can't get a straight answer from anybody. Hey, I got a straight answer for you. Jesus, amen? Jesus is the truth. He's going to never lead you astray. He's going to never lead you down a path that's dark and desolate. Not without being with you, praise God. So we need to understand that. We need to understand the words that Jesus spoke to this man. Hey, do not be afraid any longer. Here's the key. Only believe. Now this ties back in with what we've looked at with the woman that had the hemorrhage. It wasn't her touch that made her well. It was the fact that she believed it was her faith in Jesus. We know that man's greatest fear is death. And apart from Jesus, that's extremely bad news. Because not only do we get physical death, we get eternal separation from God in a place the Bible calls hell. But that's not what God desires for anyone. The good news is this, that death is not the end. And you mark my word this morning on the authority of God's word, death does not have the final say. That's a good place to say amen. Praise God, death does not have the final say. Because we know that we serve a Lord that's conquered death, hell and the grave, that He lives forevermore for those who are in Christ will also live forevermore. He's seated at the Father's right hand when we breathe our last breath on planet earth. For those who are in Christ, praise God, we're going to be in His presence. And that's good news today. Death is simply the doorway that takes you from planet earth into the very presence of God for all eternity. Jesus takes the fear out of dying. Now, don't miss this latter part of, of verse 6. I'm sorry, uh, the, latter, the latter part that we find here. It says, only believe, only believe. In verse 36. Verse 36 says, do not be afraid any longer. Only believe, only believe. So, believe in what? Anything and everything? No, you've got to personally put your trust and faith in Jesus. And it's as though Jesus is saying to this man, Jairus, you've got to trust me. You've got to trust that I am the way, the truth, and the life. You've got to surrender to me. You've got to follow me. And that's the good news this morning of the glorious gospel. It's amazing how we've seen the gospel throughout everything we've been looking at. I've referred to it before as the scarlet thread of redemption that's interwoven, interwoven throughout the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Adrian Rogers once said, if you read the Bible and don't see Jesus, reread it. Because Jesus is throughout the pages 
of Scripture. We know that the gospel is the power of God to salvation. That is the good news. And then we know that the Bible says that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised Him from the dead, you shall be saved. That, my friends, is good news. So first we see the bad news. Secondly, we have the good news. But notice thirdly, the commotion. Now this is where the story gets really interesting. The commotion. I'm not going to read the entire text, but we find this in verses 37 through 40. Listen to a few of these verses in verse 38. They came to the house of the synagogue official, and he, that is Jesus, saw a commotion. Then Jesus said, why make a commotion and weep? And then notice what the folks end up doing. They start laughing at Jesus. So here Jesus makes his way to the house of Jairus. Now we don't know the exact location as to where this was. Perhaps it was close to the synagogue that you see there on the screen. And it's believed that it was a fairly large house that had many rooms in it. And that was not necessarily for the case for the houses that were right down there in the surrounding area. Many of them were small little houses that were joined together. And families would typically live in the house And then siblings would just add on to that and live in the house there with them as well. So we don't know all of those specific details. But what we do know is this, that Jesus made his way to the house. And notice who he takes with him. Peter, James, and John. Remember Jesus calling these guys on the shores of Galilee? These guys are referred to as the the inner circle of Jesus' disciples. They got to witness and do some of the things... Uh, with Jesus that no one else got to be a part of. So Jesus takes the inner circle with him to the house of Jairus, and notice what he finds. I mean, it's the complete opposite of what you and I would expect. I mean, think about this for a moment. When you go to a funeral home, or a loved one or a friend has passed away, and you go visit them at their house, I mean, it's quiet, right? It's reverent. I mean, some places or funeral homes will even have signs that will say, you know, quiet please. But, but, but it's nothing like what we find in the text before us. I mean, there's much noise. There's a disturbance. There's an uproar. As a matter of fact, it's referred to as commotion. There's much commotion taking place. And not just that, people are weeping loudly and people are wailing. I mean, it sounds a lot like our country right now, doesn't it? I mean, with the exception of the rioting and the vandalism, I mean, there's people in our country that are weeping, they're wailing. I mean, if you've turned on television over the last few months, this scene resembles a lot of what you find there. I mean, I can't think of a more relevant word for today than commotion. Our country is facing a commotion. I mean, commotion dominates the news media, social media, and it's affected everybody's life. And here in the midst of all this commotion, all of the noise, all of the chaos, all of the confusion, I can't help but be reminded of the words that one of my professors spoke many years ago. He said this, we're getting conflicting reports from corrupt minds. Conflicting reports from corrupt minds. Those words echo true today. They echo true back when he spoke them. And I believe those words even echo true in this situation that Jairus and his family was facing. It was a chaotic 
situation. Much chaos. And Jesus intervenes, and he simply says these words. I love Jesus, how his words are just short and concise. I mean, he doesn't speak for hours. Some of you are going to say, yeah, like you do, Pastor. They're concise, but Jesus says, why make a commotion and weep? Why make a commotion and weep? The child has not died, but is asleep. And it's as though this only adds fuel to the fire. I mean, some of you have lit a fire before, right? And some of you are crazy enough to have thrown gasoline on it before, right? I mean, what happens when you pour the gasoline on the fire? It's crazy, right? It's chaotic. And that's much what we find in the, the incident before us. Now follow me here for just a moment. The place erupts in laughter. And, and immediately, immediately we learn a lot about these mourners. Now I want you to think about the mourners here, what they're doing. What does the Bible say they're doing? They're weeping and they're wailing. I mean, a young girl's died. It's a sad situation they're weeping and wailing. But in a split second, notice this, their mourning is turned into laughter. Who can do that? Who can do that in a split second? I, I'll tell you. A bunch of fakers. A bunch of fakers. Can switch the mourning off and start laughing in, in a split second. Only fakers can do that. And these folks weren't really mourning the daughter's death. You know what they were doing? They were looking for a paycheck. They were waiting to get paid. In other words, they were professional mourners. Say what? Yeah, that's what they did. They traveled from house to house, from place to place. Ah! Weeping and wailing and mourning. And in a second, they turned that off. John Phillips describes it this way. People would pay other people to come and howl at a funeral. So when they hear Jesus speak something that they've never heard before and something that they've never witnessed, I mean, think about them for a moment. They do this for a living. They've gone to house after house after house and never seen someone that's dead come back to life. So they hear Jesus speak these words and they say, This guy's crazy. The girl's dead. So they begin to laugh at him. John MacArthur says it was scornful mockery. They knew the girl was dead and found it ridiculous to claim that she was only sleeping. And then I love this. Don't miss this. Once again, we see Jesus turn this chaos, this confusion, into calmness. And the commotion into calmness. In other words, Jesus, the Bible says, cleared house. He told all those folks, hey... Get out of here. Now, we don't know exactly what he said, but you remember when Jesus got upset and got angry because they were selling things in the temple and he cleaned the temple, cleansed the temple? I believe we find a similar situation here. He cleansed the house. So the only folks in the house now are the daughter that's dead, the mother, the father, Jesus, Peter, James, and John. Everyone else is gone. Jesus is in the house. As I was thinking about that, I couldn't help but think that, you know, if we brought Jesus back to Washington, and to the Senate, and to the Congress, and the State House, and the local house, and the school house, and he did a little 
cleaning and a little clearing house. Turned a little bit of chaos and confusion and commotion into calmness. Praise God, we'd be better off. Amen. But that starts with Jesus. And we've said as a country, for the most part, not everybody, but a lot of folks have said, we don't want none of you Jesus in here. We don't want your Bible in here. We don't want your Ten Commandments in here. We don't want your church in here. We don't want people in here that are following Jesus. Just get your Jesus and get out. And we as believers have got to put Jesus back into all that stuff that's been taken out. Amen. Jesus is in the house. And if there were nobody else in the house that day, Jesus is more than sufficient. He's more than enough. Now notice, fourth and finally, we see the bad news, the good news, the commotion. Fourth and finally, I want you to notice the truth. This is the good part. Don't miss this. We find this in verses 41 to 43. The first thing we learn is that she physically died. So the truth of the matter is this. The girl's not just sleeping. The girl's physically dead. I mean, there's no other way to put it. And her mother knew that. Her father knew that. Her friends knew that. Her family knew that. These mourners knew that. The neighbors knew that. The community knew that. They all knew that she was dead. And although she was physically dead, her death was not final. And what we see here is nothing. I don't know, I don't know any other way to put it. I mean, there's no other way to put it than this was a miracle of God. I mean, only God can raise dead people to life. Amen? So in a split second, we see Jesus restore her to life. Now notice what the text says in verse 41. Taking her by the hand. Can you imagine that picture? Can you imagine that scene? You know what it's like if you go and grab your daughter's little hand, right? My daughter last night, she wanted to come up and sit in my lap on the, on the recliner. I'm like, come on, baby. I mean, we sat up there and ended up falling asleep right there on the recliner. But Jesus reached out his hand. Think about it. That hand that would one day be the nail-scarred hand. He reached out his hand and he grabbed the little girl by the hand. And what did he say to her? Talithakum! Which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. I say to you, get up. Get up. And in a split second, listen to this. The 12-year-old girl, we see the word again that, that's used 40 times in Mark's gospel, immediately, euthus, immediately, immediately in a split second, she goes from being completely dead to being completely alive. She's restored to life. And this is what we've come to learn through Mark 4 and Mark 5. That Jesus has power over, the, over nature. The winds and the waves, hush, be still. Jesus has power over the demonic. Those who are demon-possessed, come out of you. Come out of him, you unclean spirit. And the, the legion of demons was cast into the swine. Jesus has power over sickness, disease, COVID, coronavirus, AIDS, cancer, Whatever it is, Jesus is Lord over all of that. And then we come to the pinnacle. Listen to me. The pinnacle of what we find in this narrative. 
Not only is Jesus Lord over sickness and disease, He's Lord over death. And praise God, that's good news for us today. I mean, we all want to live to be 100, don't we? Yeah. And praise God, maybe we will live to be 100. But life on earth, listen to me. Life on earth is like a speck of sand on the ocean's beaches around the world. It's what this life is compared to eternity. You'll be able to witness it outside in just a a month or so. Take a deep breath. James says it's like a vapor. It's here one minute and it's gone the next. So Jesus has power over death. And in a split second, this young girl's blood began to pump. Her heart began to beat. She got up from where she was. And listen to this. I love this. She needed no rehab. She needed no physical therapy, no occupational therapy. She needed none of that stuff. Why? Because Jesus completely healed her. And I learned something this week. I learned something. You search the scriptures and look at the people that Jesus healed, and not one of them ever had any kind of rehab. Why? Because Jesus completely healed them. And that was the case for this young girl. She was completely healed. She was completely restored. Now I'm going to wrap up. Let's look at these last two verses in closing. The Bible says the people that saw this, they were completely astounded. In other words, they were amazed at what they had witnessed. They had never seen anything like this before. And then Jesus gives them the strict orders again because they're back in the area of Jewish people, not to mention anything else about this because the timing was not just right or not yet right. So the young girl physically died. Jesus restored her physical life. And she moved from death to life. And I'm thankful this morning that Jesus raised her in order to show us that he's Lord over death. The apostle Paul echoed these words in 1 Corinthians 15. He said this, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the good news today, my friends. That death has no hold of Jesus and no hold of anyone who is in Jesus because he is Lord over death. You've been listening to Changed by His Word, the preaching and teaching ministry of Pastor Brad Lee. We hope that you have been encouraged and challenged by this message. If you have any questions about the message or about your relationship with Jesus Christ, please contact Pastor Brad at changedbyhisword at gmail.com. Thank you and God bless.